0: Hey, everybody. Wayne Dorban, not Kelly Miller, as it says on my screen. I have no idea who Kelly Miller is. um, And going to webinar, decided to play a little game with us. But this is Wayne, and I am am online from my ranch office. Don't very often do these from our ranch office. We don't have the best internet reception here. We have a satellite. But we're going to start doing more of them from here. It's a very comfortable place to work in the winter. We don't have to drive into town, and we get some snow. We have some on the ground here today. So we're gonna, you're going to see us coming from here a lot more often. And I've got Mark from Bangladesh that's helping from Dhaka, and he has never missed one of these in all of the number that we've done. Mark has not missed one. And then we've got Deb that's also helping, as they say, behind the glass. And all of you that are out in the audience, bunch of you out there from... A lot of you are not willing to say where from, but that's all right. From Scottsdale, Arizona, we know we've got somebody from. So, Alyssa, I think you're from. I don't remember where, Alyssa. This is names that I recognize. Um, but thank you for all showing up. Tonight, we are going to talk about commercial aquaculture, as you can see on the screen here. And I'm going to go ahead and start clicking through some slides. This is our second week on commercial aquaculture. And I don't know how long this Total series will last, but it'll probably be in the range of 13 to 15 weeks. Um, I have already done two previous courses on backyard aquaculture and how you can have a system on your deck or in your garage or in your backyard where you can make some money for yourself and your family and generate some income as well as create food for yourself. Then I recently completed a series on ecological aquaculture which is how you can use a series of ponds or streams to also um, generate a revenue situation in an ecological way. And now we're talking about commercial shrimp aquaculture. Um, As it says here on this slide, uh, the reason for this is not of the faint of heart. This is going to get pretty technical. Not tonight so much, but last week we we talked a little bit biology about shrimp, and I'm going to do that again tonight so that you understand what they are. Why they live the way they do? You have to understand a, a, a lot about why an organism lives the way it does in a wild situation to be able to know how to grow it in a culture situation. So it's really important to understand their biology. Um, we also talked about. Um, I'll, I'll go a little bit over a review here in a second. But um, so this is this is introductory. And it's not going to be just everything that you're going to need. And please don't think you can take this course and then just immediately go out and be able to grow shrimp and make money with it. Um, You're going to need more training, more education. Maybe more. You know, maybe have a consultant or somebody that works with you. You just—it's this is not simple. Um, And again, this is commercial. Um, We're going to talk about a system that in a 10,000 square foot space um, should generate $100,000 of annual income for an owner and that system will do start to do some economics even next week but that system should be able to be constructed for something less than $100,000 in capital costs without the cost of the building so to get Um, Over 100% ROI on a capital investment in a year is a pretty good form of income in today's world, especially in agriculture. So that's what we're going to get to. Um, Our format today is I'm going to do a little introduction, which I'm doing now. Um, This is our second month um, of our new Eat Free membership. Of which we just passed 2,500 members um, in, just, in just six weeks. And and then we have our new elite membership, of which we're growing and adding um, paid members. And a number of you are what we call Founders Elite, that were some of our early adopters that got involved. and um, And then there's some of you that are new members in our elite system. We had a great um, session again last week with the Sustainable Design Masterclass that partners with us. They do the Thursday um, sessions that we have and this week Alan, um, Peter Allen excuse me, from Wisconsin is going to be talking. We have four new guest speakers this week. Um, today we're going to talk about how shrimp are farmed today in the world, um, what is super intensive aquaculture, why is it colonomic? Um, is this ecological aquaculture, bioflock aquaculture, and then sort of marine aquaponics. And then next week, if assuming we get all the way through the topics you just saw and heard about, we're going to talk about business planning, financial planning, and system design, and obviously answer questions. And please, I am wide open for questions. Again, ask them as we go along, or Keep, save your questions up till the end, and we'll definitely get to your questions. And I usually always do this, is there anything that's on your mind even before we really get started? Just kind of wait for a second, we can see if anything comes through in the question area. Okay, not seeing anything right now. Just a couple slides here about why, what this is, why this is happening, why you're having these nine live presentations and recorded. This is the Economic Action Team, and um, we've been doing this now for just over. We just had our sixth month anniversary last week, and our goal is to um, copy something called of uh, uh, the OMG program in the internet marketing space, as you see on this slide, and I'm not going to go into this detail. There actually is a webinar that we did back on June 7th that you can watch a replay of as members of this community. And some of you who are just registered and not yet members, uh, after this is over will actually be making people um, members. Um, just because you've registered and you'll be free members and you'll be able to watch some of the past replays. Not all of them because those are only available to our elite members. And we've got over 190, actually we'll pass 200 hours of live training, coaching, mentoring, um, and networking. We also have a couple of Facebook sites um, that are group sites for our elite community and for our Eat Free community. So, what did we talk about last week? Just a little bit of a brief review. We spent some time talking about what are shrimp. Um, they are decapods, uh, which has to do with the number of appendages that they have on the sides of their body. Um, we talked about the difference between shrimp and lobsters and crabs. Um, we talked about shrimp and prawns, and which are really the same thing. Um, shrimp, generally, are not easy easily um, accepted in the taxonomy, which is, is identifying different kinds of organisms by really specific um, elements about them. There's, a, there's even argument about it amongst tax, amongst taxonomists. Are crayfish shrimp? That's a good example. Most people would say no. Most, most people would put crayfish into the category of lobsters, um, and that has to do with the big first appendage that they have of those decapod circumstance, which is a claw kind of a structure, but really for our purposes and growing them and so on, it's not really that important, except one of the reasons that no one has really successfully grown lobsters or crayfish in really intense culture situations is because they eat each other, and they will use those claws to cannibalize, and I actually tried it one time. Um, and I'm an Edisonian type of a scientist, which is that I try a bunch of things, and if they fail, it means that I didn't do the right thing, and I try something new. Um, and back 30 years ago or so, I had the chance to put a whole bunch of crayfish into a pond in an s- intensive sort of way, and sure enough, at the end of the summer, there were not very many shrimp left. Uh, matter of fact, I think there was a couple of really big ones and not a whole lot more because they had eaten each other. So. That's that's a problem with lobster, and um, shrimp not so much. Shrimp don't have those big claws. And we're going to look at some pictures again in a minute. Um, We talked about why do we care about shrimp. Shrimp is the second most consumed seafood in the world. That's why we care about them. Um, Secondly, we care about them because the kinds of shrimp production that's occurring now in places in the world that we'll talk about in just a minute, are devastating, and we'll talk about why, and, and we're going to literally see some huge coastal damage, offshore damage, all kinds of things if we continue to farm shrimp the way that we do now on a worldwide basis. We describe both the difference between a fishery and a fish farm. Our aquaculture system is. Uh, we gave a, a history of shrimp fishery worldwide and a history of shrimp farming worldwide. And, and then we really didn't talk very much. It was about what we got to, which was how are shrimp farmed now. So that's sort of just a little review from last week. So let's let's just go into that. How are shrimp farmed now? Um, first, and I, I don't have a map for this, but I think that this is you'll get enough of a glimpse of it as you put it in your mind. Um, shrimp right now are farmed primarily in Southeast Asia, and that includes Vietnam, China, Thailand, um, coastal locations. Vietnam, I didn't mention Vietnam, and then in Brazil and Ecuador in South America, and in Bangladesh. And, and Mark, did you know that? Did you know that coastal areas in your country are shrimp production areas? Yes. Yes, mostly um, the saltwater kind, of marine. Uh, fish, because it's a lot of salt uh, near the coast. Yeah, that's correct. That's exactly right. Here we go. Mark's not an expert on this at all, but that, he knows that, because mostly shrimp as as that are eaten in the world today, as a matter of fact, over 90% of the shrimp that are sold on a worldwide basis belong to only two species, and 2 they're called, from a, a layperson's perspective, their common names are Pacific marine white shrimp, which is Liptoponeus vanamii, is, is the scientific name. And, and then the um, giant, what's called giant prawns, um, which are marine, and the tiger prawns, and that is um, Poneus montadon, and those are, the, those are the two species. There are a lot of other kinds of shrimp that are caught in fisheries, Um, especially in the northern waters um, around Finland and Norway and Sweden. This is something that comes up every week from, look at this, it's from Apple and I don't know why I can't stop it. I've been trying to figure out, I got a hold of Apple and said, how do I stop this? And They said, we don't know how to stop it. So anyway, that's there. Um, Again, still not seeing any questions. You guys, if you have questions, put them in whenever you get them. So that's primarily where they're grown so how are they grown so let, let's just let's take a look at that a little bit and before we before we go about kind of where and how this chart I want to talk about this chart a little bit because this not only relates to shrimp but really re- relates to agriculture more broadly but specifically to aquaculture and I really want you to understand this and, and the numbers, are not so important. Don't worry about the 22 and 10 and 9 and so on. But, but a, a somewhat complicated chart. But I'm going to start sort of with what's the primary input? Over here, the sun. And, and that's what's the primary input really all over. Um, and then where, where are things at? And this primarily shows in the water. But this is where land would be. But really, this is the feed cycle for them. And let's just start going through what happens. Right now, most of the shrimp production is in inland areas that we're going to show pictures of in just a minute, but inland being right by the coast. And they will create an aquatic production base. And that aquatic production base goes out into the ocean or near the ocean, near the coast, or in farms where it's then captured by fisheries. OK, that's that's the one way that it's obtained. Until about 30 years ago, uh, shrimp were primarily harvested through a fishing operation, and there, there wasn't that much farming. Shrimp farming, as we know it today, is relatively new. It's obviously been done in, in Asia and probably even in, in South America for a lot longer but not in a very large way i mean it's become monstrous over the last 30 years so much to where production today is about 12 million excuse me 12 billion dollars on a worldwide basis and again it's the number two eaten sea world you know, seafood in west in the, in the in the world but until recently most of it was was caught with netting the reason it's not done as much for shrimp anymore is because they're not there they've actually been killed a big problem we talked about this last week of the fishery process is what's called bycatch and for every one pound of shrimp that is caught out in the oceans there is anywhere from 10 to 20 pounds of bycatch which is not what you intend to catch and it includes turtles sharks dolphins a number of other animals and many of those are badly harmed or killed by that bycatch situation. So very negative circumstance. So those fish are are caught. Um, they are typically then uh, or or harvested in a farm and we'll get that down to that over here. And, and then they move on towards the, the blue cycle here towards seafood. So we're going to talk more and through this whole course about shrimp in an aquaculture situation, not in these same kinds of ponds. Because here's all the negatives that happen from these ponds. There are escapes. And in a second, you're going to see some pictures. Well, here's one up here in the corner of the screen. You're seeing but I'll make that, I'll expand on that. These are all shrimp ponds, all of this. And that is about. 10 miles from there to there. These are huge ponds. This is probably about 6 miles from here to here. This is the last sort of holding water before the water goes out into the ocean, which is right here. And then this is some of the processing area of this big shrimp farm. Um, But what's happening is that there are escapes that occur which pollute the native water situation, and most importantly, they cause potential um, disease issues to occur. There's a huge problem with habitat modification because these are built farms right along the coastline. This would have naturally here been mangroves, um, which are a tropical shoreline protection um, type of plant, a tree, a shrub, shrubby tree. And they've been decimated in this area. The um, second thing that happens is they, um, they'll create actual just pollutants themselves, um, waste products that all end up back out into the ocean creating a problem. They will affect mollusks or seaweeds in a negative way. Um, so that, And then those wastes will also affect what's called fry collection. In these big farms that there are, there's not as much what we call hatchery operations, which means growing very young um, from eggs to the larval stages. And we're going to talk about the life cycle here in just a minute. But instead, they're collected. And they collect those in, um, in the open ocean and bring them back. And then they stock them in these ponds. The pond culture process is really very simple. Um, and if you live in that part of the world, it doesn't take much as long as you have the land to be able to start the process. It's almost all hand done. All these p- ponds were hand dug. This is all, these ponds are all below sea level and the water that goes in and out of them is tidal that's affected by the seawater that's uh, that's, that's adjacent to them. So in a pond situation, uh, the, the, the fish get or in this this case shrimp or fish get produced in, into seafood. Um, they have to have fish meal, they have to have feed that comes into the process. And we'll we'll talk about that quite a bit later. And then in a fishery situation you've got fish um, or or aquaculture where fish are cultured in the oceans in screened in cages. You don't see shrimp culture being done that way. And, The reason is that the shrimp grow very rapidly from a very small size, microscopic size. And we're going to get to that in just a minute. So now let's look at some of these these big farms and pictures of them. And so you can get a glimpse of what they look like and how uh, the fishing process of the farming. Here's a great example of the devastation that can occur. Um, This is water coming out of the ocean, going into one of these big ponds. Um, that has been harvested. When they harvest the ponds, they either catch them with nets that they throw into them, or they drain the ponds to collect the collect the the, um, the, the, the larval the, excuse me the this immature shrimp. Shrimp that are caught in ponds or cultured do not reach maturity yet. They're still below mature size. Here's another picture of a farm in Southeast Asia. Um, adjacent to the coastline. These are what are called barrier islands. Most of the coasts of the world have some kind of a protective island, um, op- offshore or protective plants like mangroves are. And these islands have both. This is islands and there's mangroves. And here at a tidal situation water comes in right here and then tide goes out and water goes out right there. And it also goes in and out over here on this side. Here's just a black and white picture of, of sort of what some of these ponds will look like. This is highly labor intensive. Here's a, um, kind of a picture of what it can look like off the shore. This is what's called red tide. And this is a very negative situation. This picture's not taken that high off of the ground. Here's another picture of the coastal impact. In this case, there's not even a channel going out. You can see this river even. They've cut into a river. This river would have naturally gone over here, probably back like this, and then gone back up. These are called oxbows in a river. We talked about the formation of those in our ecological aquaculture course. And all they did for this shrimp farm is they just cut into this, and then seawater goes tidally in and out here. The the ocean would be right out here in this picture. Here's another one. Um, again big ponds. You can see how big they are, the houses here. These are smaller actually than in the last picture, but just look at all of them. And here's another whole set of them up here. This is in Thailand, actually. Here's one of the ways that they collect them. Again, they use nets, or they just drain the ponds. So there's three major negatives from this kind of farming. The first is that that disease is a real problem and that the loss of animals going back out into the open oceans have caused huge devastation of shrimp in that circumstance. That's number one. Number two, they actually collect more dead shrimp than they do live shrimp. So when they get shrimp that they ship all over the world, and we get them in our food shelves in the stores, many times they weren't harvested alive, they were harvested dead. Here's another picture of them using nets and collecting shrimp. Here is a shrimp itself. Um, Here's a right along the shoreline as they're bringing a net in. Here's a picture of some ponds just from side view of them. Another view, look how many there are, just as far as you can see in this picture. Here's um, a guy throwing feed. So this is a feeding operation going on. And here's, here's a pretty good uh, dis- depiction. And this is where this is a little bit more what we call semi intensive. It's not just the ponds like the ones we just saw, a little more management. And this occurs in, in a lot of places, a little more in Honduras, Mexico, um, but also in Ecuador, China, and, and then Colombia. But the ponds are not immediately adjacent, they don't have water going in and out of them. Um, they are still tidally influenced, they usually pump the water from the ocean into them. And um, they're actually above the high tide line. So it's a, a little more um, favorable way to culture, a little less harmful. This is a, an aerial view. The, the red color is of the red and bluish, kind of uh, purplish color, is where Um, you've got impacts, negative impacts, this is an infrared photo, um, coming from uh, shrimp farming operations. Okay, so now, why does this matter? Well, because shrimp demand continues to grow and so in these developing country areas of the world they're going to do whatever they can do to, to raise shrimp. This is a huge farm where these are these are quarter mile. This would be the same as a center pivot system here in the US. That's a mile square right there. Um, and these are huge circular growth ponds and here's where the water again by tidal action is going in and out of them. You can see them here and these two over here on this side. Um, there's no faster growing market in the world than there is for uh, for for shrimp right now this is the way shrimp should look in your supermarket if they're this color and not orange then they're going to be fine that's that means they were harvested alive this just shows how when they're bring them into uh um, the dock, how they take them in and out of the ships. And we showed that one. So, why it matters is that. So, here this next slide is going to show some of the impacts. This is the slide we saw before. And this is really a, just a horrid picture. They devastated this river. Um, this is just water just going in and out of here directly into the tidal area. Um, really bad. This is actually in Africa, um, which is the, the caption shows here. So let's let's just look now at shrimp life cycle. Um, I'm going to start with this slide. Shrimps start out with an egg, and they grow to be what's next called a anoplia. This is all microscopic. You will not have, you'll need a microscope to be able to see the anoplia. The protozoa stage is also still really close to macroscopic to be able to see by the native eye, but still very close to being uh, microscopic. Um, They then grow into what's called a mysis form, which is now visible, uh, macrophytic, still very small, and then into a post-larval form. And there are many stages, by the way, of each of these. And if you remember from what we talked about last week, shrimp grow by shedding their skin, their exoskeletons. Then they move into being juveniles. This is the stage in which they're primarily cultured in an aquaculture system, in the juvenile phase. Then they become an adult, they spawn, create eggs, start going through the cycle again. So, now, back to the slide that we showed before here. Here shows two views, and this happens to be showing the Gulf of Mexico, but how the life cycle occurs in in nature, and this is important that we understand this because it helps us to understand how we're going to put them into culture systems ourselves. Remember, um, I said that the key to successful inland aquaculture, or ecological aquaculture, economic aquaculture, is to understand the animal and understand how it grows, why it does what it does, when it does it, and try to simulate that in a culture system. So let's start with the adults. The adults are bottom organisms living near the bottom, out in the open ocean, pretty close to shore. They aren't going to be thousands of miles. They're not like salmon that will go way out into the open ocean and then migrate long distances back in. Um, By the way, time-wise, an adult shrimp is usually about a year old, and the world record size for a shrimp indicated the shrimp that was about five or six years old, they don't live very long lives. And most of them probably die between a year and two years of age. That that shrimp will produce eggs that get fertilized by a male in a open water spawning situation. So the males secrete their sperm, the females secrete eggs, and they get into the open water, that's where the fertilization occurs. Very rapidly, within hours, they will mature into nauplii. again the microscopic sage, which they leave the bottom and start swimming up towards the surface. They then become zoea, and usually it's a tidal action that now is moving them towards the coast, so all this typically occurs overnight, even in a 12-hour period. They'll grow to be mysis, again, just barely able to be seen, if we talked about that before, which then, by that time, they end up into estuaries in inland. Again, this is showing mangroves. And most of their life actually gets spent here in this post-larval juvenile phase in the estuary and location. Again, this is natural production. At some point, hormones kick in. Um, they move out towards the ocean again, and actually this is a little bit wrong here. They really are very, this is older juveniles. They, they'll stay as post and juveniles, of which there are usually 15 molts, 15 times they shed their skin uh, in between the post-larval stage and when they become um, almost adolescence, we'd call them, right before they're going to become adults and be able to uh, produce eggs themselves. So now looking at it from above, um, and this could be, the, this shows the Gulf of Mexico, but this could be off the coasts of, of anywhere. By the way, we have so devastated the shrimp populations in offshore in the United States that the shrimp fishery has almost become non-existent. There still is one, but it's very small. Uh, big oil problems like we've had in the Gulf of Mexico have created part of the problem. Most of the problems have, been co- have occurred because of overfishing, and we're at a point right now where we just can't even come close to catching enough shrimp to fulfill anywhere near the demand of shrimp in the United States. But back to the process again. Here's the adult that's out in the open water offshore producing eggs, naplii, um, all down through the zoea and the mysis forms, post and up to the pre-larval form, they come in as as post larvae and as juveniles, kind of hang out in the estuaries and sh- shallower ocean water, and then they'll head back out into the open ocean. So I'm going to stop there for a second and see. I've given a lot here in just a little bit. Are you guys getting this? Are you following this? And do you understand it? And do you have any questions? By the way, very rarely, usually audiences don't go away, and we we hold a lot. But a bunch of you, a bunch of people have left, which is fine because this is a very specific topic, and you're not going to have success with shrimp farming if you don't. Learn about these. I, I've unfortunately seen so many failures in the last 10 years in shrimp farming. And I've been farming shrimp myself for almost 40 years, and 90 over a 90% failure rate. And it's mainly because most people just think that it's so easy, and they they, they try to just get really a simple amount of education, and then they go out and try it, and they fail. Um, so, any other questions here? <laughs> Okay. Don't see any more. There's, there's no questions so far. All right. So I'm going to take it that that you're that you're following it and you're getting what we're saying. I'm going to show just a couple more um, pictures here. Uh, mangroves, real quick, just because it's important to understand, because we're going to try to simulate a little bit of what mangroves look like in our aquaculture systems, and we're going to take and simulate roots by. Different things we're going to put into the systems. I'll be talking about those as we talk about construction in the weeks to come. So I really wanted to show the way mangroves. Mangroves are rooted. They root down into the into the the um, soil that is tidally affected. So it'll be dry for a portion of the day. It'll be more. It's always moist. It's never completely dry, but it'll have water that will not be puddling under it, and then it'll be wet and the roots actually grow up out of the water and this is actually where the, the, the trunk would start above the high tide line. So this picture is taken as sort of a receding tidal time frame and you can, uh, you can see the trunk of the mangrove tree starting up above here. And here's just another example of something that's, that shows you about how the, the shrimp life cycle is important um, in that, that you've got plankton, which are, al, are, are either algae or small animals, and we call those zooplankton, um, and, and algae we call algal plankton or phytoplankton, and they're microscopic. They become food for the shrimp. The shrimp become food for fish, the fish become food for vertebrates and, and birds and invertebrates are like larger forms, crabs, um, lobster types. And the it's important to have these mangroves because they protect against this wave action in a big way. And they trap the sediment and build new land. And they, they sort of start keep a succession process going. So we're going to now move to Farm shrimp, super intensive. But first I'm going to go back to my outline for just a second. So again, what we've gone through there is, is sort of how are they farmed now. And it's in big ponds next to the coasts. They oh oh I, I said this, but most of the those early stages, all what they're trying to collect in those nets out in the ocean are the the mysis stage. And the um, little bit larger forms, more than the microscopic nauplii, and they collect those in very fine nets. They bring them back into um, the ponds and throw them in the ponds, and then hope they grow. And they feed the ponds and so on. It's a really that's a really simple process. In contrast to super intensive shrimp aquaculture, which is what we're going to talk about now. And you're seeing a bunch of pictures here. Almost all of these are at systems that I've either helped build, or I've been involved with, or I've seen. And super-intensive shrimp aquaculture is about 40 years old in its process. And the definition of super-intensive, and I think I actually have it down here, yep, right here, is and it doesn't have to be a greenhouse, but a super intensive aquaculture is something that's enclosed in a pond or a tank. It uses no, uh, no, and it's probably more more accurate to say little water exchange, only the replacement of evaporation losses and it could be be also just spillage and, and drippage and leakage when there's harvest going on, nor is there any discharge. And, and this is specifically for shrimp, um, and there's in that SPFPL, um, PL is post-larval stage, and this is talking about stocking densities. We're not going to go into those details. I just wanted you to see some of these acronyms because we're going to talk about them later. Most shrimp cultures done around the world. We don't talk in pounds as much as we talk in grams and milligrams and, and kilograms, um, and, and we we try to talk also in centimeters and, and meters rather than the English system, and I've joked about this before, but we are so provincial here in the U.S., and we think everybody wants to talk about things the way we do, but we try actually not to do that so much. Uh, I didn't even realize this picture's here, but I'll show this picture. This is a very famous guy. Um, this is Dr. Addison Lawrence, who is really probably one of the um, Superheroes in shrimp super-intensive culture. He's pointing out something here in um, one of his systems. He's retired now from Texas A&M, where he was a long-time professor. And just I didn't even remember that that picture was there. But as we look at shrimp cultured in um, super-intensive systems, um, super-intensive, as the name implies, means that we're putting huge, very large numbers. Of shrimp into a system. We typically culture them in the same tank or pond throughout most of their life cycle in which we're growing them. And so we're taking them from when they're barely more than microscopic and this is almost a kind of a real size depiction on my screen. These are about two millimeters in length but still not microscopic. You can see them pretty easily. And you can see how dense they are. They are pelagic, which means open water species at this point in their life cycle. And so they're swimming, mostly. They're not, they're not clinging to the sides of things. And as the older they get, they get more benthic, which means they live on the bottom more. And so I just wanted to show you what that super intense mean meant for densities. People have made um, shrimp culture systems in all kinds of, of structures. Here happens to be a shipping container in which a system is planned for. Um, this is a outdoor system here um, and you can do things outdoors if the temperatures are appropriate. This is actually um, a little bit larger shrimp. Those are probably um, again maybe um, four or five, you know, three centimeters in length and you can see the bucket. That's a five-gallon bucket. They're being thrown back. He, he, he was just sampling them. At this point in their life cycle, they're probably 50-50 spending of their time living on the bottom as benthic or up in the water column. Most often the feeding in these systems is by s- s- sprinkling or spraying feed across the surface, and it's usually a sinking feed, but the, the, the shrimp will come right up to the surface, and, and that's good because that's a good time when you can see them. Um, so let's go back up here a little. Here is a really good example of a super intensive system. This happens to be a picture of one that I have uh, helped with. Uh, this is a, what's called a raceway, and the water is going in a, uh, like a, a track, a, a, an oval around this center divider in the system, so it comes in up here at the top, or it it's doesn't come into it, it's all pumped around. There's a pump with a, a, maybe even a paddle wheel that's moving the water in this direction. It, it keeps moving, it turns this corner, there's gonna be another um, pump at this end that's pushing the water this way, and it just keeps getting pushed in a circle around the system. You use, they use air, to move, keep the water moving by pushing it in. I actually have the direction wrong. It's going this way in this picture because you can see the the air in uh, Oops, didn't mean to do that. We're gonna see the whole article here. Let's just see where this came from. This is gonna take us to the article. Super intensive aquaculture provides a look into the future. So Texas AgriLife is actually where another Texas A&M guy named Sachi Shamoka is is located. And this is an article about their system that they have at Texas A&M. Scroll on this, maybe there'll be a few more pictures. Oh, yes, it's still got the picture of this. That's what I thought it was one of their systems. So limited discharge, limited to none. They do constant monitoring. We're going to talk a lot about monitoring. Monitoring is really important in these systems. They talk about fine detail, and that's really important. And they're obviously promoting a company called YSI, which is a that makes monitoring equipment. So I just, since I clicked on that, let's let's go back to. No, I don't want to keep up with your blog right now. Let's go back to this picture. But again, super intensive growing things in highly intensive um, densities with no or little water exchange. A lot of experimentations done about what the bottom of a tank should be. We'll talk about that more later. Here's the density that you'll see the shrimp in when they get a little larger. These are not harvestable size yet, but they're close. These are probably in a six month growth cycle less than a month away from being harvested, maybe even closer to two or three weeks. But you can still see their density. This is down at the bottom though. Notice by this time they're not just swimming in the open water anymore. They're staying down near the bottom. And mainly that's because that's where most of the food ends up. As we're seeing in this picture, this is a combination of their poop, we call it detritus, and food in this picture. Here's another example of a a loop system. Here's a different configuration. This is circular. This happens to be what we recommend and I'm going to talk a lot about for smaller commercial shrimp farms, still something large enough to do $100,000 a year worth of volume, if that's what you're looking to do. This one happens to be, as you can see, in a warehouse situation, you can see the, the ceiling up here above, those are some catwalks. I'm um, not sure where, this is Felsmere. not sure where, let's, let's click on this and see where this is. not sure I've heard of this. sounds like this is maybe something in Australia. Oh, it's a video. Oh, it's Florida, okay. I don't know this operation. There's been some newer ones that are occurring. So let's, let's stop with this. I don't, I don't want don't to show this. Actually, I might show this in the background and turn the volume off so that you're not hearing that. Actually, turn, my, turn those speakers down. I don't want to distract it. I want to move this ahead a little bit. I want you to see this maybe. I think maybe they'll show pictures of it. Yeah, maybe we're just going to hear this guy talking. Oh, here we go. Here's pictures of it. So this will just give you a little glimpse of what we're going to talk more and more about. Oh man, I thought he was. There we go. Now he's showing their systems. By the way, this could look just like um, a tilapia operation. could look very similar. Here we go. Some more pictures of their operations. Oh, man, we keep getting the guy talking. So they have a combination. It looks like in this facility they have a combination of circular tanks. I think we're seeing a couple different facilities here. So there's their long rectangular tanks and... Then there's, now here, I hate to say it, but I think this place is no longer there. This was done in 2014, and I think they failed. I may be wrong about that, but I don't think this place made it, actually. there's some more of their long raceways, kind of super intensive operation. All right, let's move away from that. Oh, here, here we go. Here's a picture from the side. Here's shrimp swimming around. If that's about what you see density-wise of shrimp in your system, you got a problem, because they should be more dense than that. You should be able to see more shrimp. That's. We'll talk more about densities later as we move ahead. So let's go back. backwards. Scroll here a little more. A lot of times you're going to use um, like I I mentioned, paddle wheel type devices to move water. This is probably not a completely super intensive, much too large of a pond. Still going to be intensive, still a lot bigger densities than there'd be in in a natural system. But just show another example. Here's a circular tank that shows paddle wheels in action. Here's a pond, that's, it's a lined pond, and instead of having paddle wheels, they've got air stones right here that are pushing air into the system. See there's a net across the top. This is a good picture of what the volume ought to look like, uh, the density. Those are shrimp that you're seeing in a very shallow, that's about how they should look uh, when they're getting close to, actually you know what, this is tilapia. Let me take that back. That's how dense and is super intensive, this is super intensive tilapia. didn't think that. They might look a little too big to be shrimp. So looking at the caption over here. Here's a, a greenhouse, a hoop house kind of configuration that you could use if you're in very warm water situations. Smaller tanks that you could potentially use. You know, I, I, there was a picture up here near the top I want to go back to. actually showed exactly the kinds of ponds that we're going to talk about that I'm going to recommend. If a shrimp looks like this one, when you see it on the shelf in your grocery store, that baby came in dead. It was harvested dead. That's not a good thing. You don't want to be, it would be like, well, when did you kill that cow? Oh, it was dead out in the field for three or four months before we brought it and we butchered it or three or four days. You don't Decomposition, when something dies, begins to happen immediately, like that. And you don't want to be eating things that have been dead and not preserved for some length of time. Let's continue, thought okay. I saw. Here, are, those are large shrimp, by the way, very large. That would be super jumbo in size. Huh, I thought I saw a picture of some round. Well, we're going to show lots of them later. I just thought I'd show them a glimpse of them here now, but I'm not seeing them. Um, There's some round circular tanks that are very similar to what, as we go through the course here, that we're going to talk specifically about. All right, let's go back to the slide here. And we've got just a few minutes left. So I've been showing you super intensive shrimp aquaculture. I haven't talked about bioflock. So the way that we grow shrimp in inland situations is we create a water quality that's very similar to what they have in their estuary situation. So if you haven't ever been to the coast, this is going to be a hard, little harder for you to picture. But in an estuary, you've got tides that are going in and out, and you have – Surf, a lot of times, you've got water movement that's related to the not just the tides, but just to the, the movement of water coming on shore, which we would call surf and uh, wave motion. And, and that causes a lot of movement to be going on. And almost always in estuaries there are there's vegetation that grows from the bottom. You saw the man grows before, but there's also like grasses, aquatic weeds and grasses that are growing. And those shrimp are growing in those areas because it's very highly protected. And there's a lot of production of of their feed. So they feed off of almost microscopic, well, very close to microscopic little animals and plants. And that's their natural habitat. As they get bigger, they need to eat a little larger and larger food. And they stay in this estuarine area. Well, biofloc is... Our simulation of a natural estuary—it's creating in the water, in the, in, this cusp, in the system, a similar situation. Young shrimp are omnivores; they'll eat both plant and animal material, but they like—they actually eat more plant material. And if you really look at the, their guts, you're going to see they're primarily eating algae. Well, in a sense, this is marine aquaponics you probably are used to aquaponics systems that are described for freshwater systems where you've got freshwater plants that are growing in water, you've got fish or other kinds of animals, and the fish are pooping, creating nutrients, and those nutrients are used by these large plants. So you've got a picture in your mind of aquaponics just being larger plants either in rafts or in in containers or or in substrate. But in a marine system The equivalent of those large plants are algae. And so biofloc is really marine aquaponics. And you're going to hear me talk about this as we move ahead all the time. A very successful shrimp system only gets better as the biofloc gets better. And it's like wine. As it ages, it gets better. So we're looking to have biofloc that's that's mature and getting better over time. It actually gets very turbid, which means that it's got lots of of solids in it. And the water itself takes on an orangish, brownish color because of dissolved material that's in it. And that's what the shrimp want. So that's why you can have a system that doesn't require a lot of input or very much discharge. And the main thing you're doing is you're taking out large solids that accumulate. They're poop, really, from the larger animals. So this is marine aquaponics. So is it economic, which means does it make us some money by still making the planet better? And I think it's a resounding yes, in that if we can grow most of our shrimp in these kinds of systems, and we can grow them locally so that we don't have to get shrimp from way more than 2,000 miles away in most cases. If you're getting them from China, unless you live in in Asia like Mark does. um, But even there, he's getting them from, and he might be getting his right from the coast in Bangladesh, but but India, for example, they're getting them from a couple thousand miles away. We're getting shrimp from 10,000 miles away. Um, That's not economic. We're going to grow them local. It is. We're not polluting the environment. We're, we're, the water's staying in a system. You're going to see that it doesn't take much light, so we're not using a lot of light energy. If we have to l- use a lot of heat, which we might have to do in colder temperatures, you might argue that it's not very good from an energy usage perspective. But I think if you look at all the variables and put them together, it is a colonomic. We're making the planet better and making some money doing it. If you remember from our ecological aquaculture course, those of you that were in it, or if you're not in it, you can go back and look at the replays. They're they're there for you in our EAT site. Um, You're going to see I talked a lot about how natural ponds are the epitome of ecological aquaculture. So this isn't completely ecological, but we are simulating we're mimicking a natural system. So you could call it ecological aquaculture, but I would say you're borderline when you're doing that. Um, because we're not, there's a lot of other things that we're not, we're not as closely simulating. We're having to manipulate them because our densities are so much higher of uh, the animals that we're producing. So we're getting right up close to the top of the hour here. We have our um, our question and answer session that comes up just 15 minutes after we're done here. So it looks like I do have some questions. So let me get to those. Um, Does the brackishness of the water help keep down cannibalism? Cannibalism, cannibalism, Chris, is not an issue for shrimp if they're grown properly. The only reason they would ever even possibly cannibalize is if, if, if animals are already dead. So they will eat dead animals. So if there's some of their cohorts, cohorts means similar age types, which we are going to talk about that, but we keep we want to keep animals of pretty much the same cohort, the same group of eggs and so what, so they are similar size, keep them together. And that's not so much because we worry about cannibalism, it's more because we want to harvest the entire amount of organisms that there are in a tank at one time. In um, some kinds of harvest, we don't want to do that, but we do as we describe this further. So the answer to your question is brackishness does keep it down, but shrimp are not that cannibalistic generally. Not like lobsters would be, or crayfish, or crabs. So, any other questions before we end for tonight? From the start to harvest is is can be shorter depending on your water temperature, but six months is considered sort of the pro, the, the sort of perfect timing, and it can be as short as four or five months. I've seen it in perfect perfect temperature situations, three and a half to four months, but we typically plan for four. We're going to talk all about this, Chris, so I'm not going to go into a lot of the details. This will be temperature, probably episode seven or eight, which is four or five from now, but temperature is in the, for most marine shrimp that we're talking about, it's in the 80 plus degree range in a Fahrenheit or in the 30s from a centigrade perspective. Um, Elisa asked, how many square feet of space would you say a super small intensive system? Don't even think about a super small. I'm going to dissuade you of that. Um, but Because this is not something for your backyard. I'm not teaching about that. I'm not even going to try to. I actually think it's a huge mistake to try to do. But um, square feet of space for a small system. Small is 10,000 square feet in my mind. So that's a pretty big building. and." Um, if you were to try to go a lot smaller than that, all I've seen is just a huge amount of failures. So somebody else will have to teach you about that one. It's probably not the answer you wanted, but that is that is the case here. So I will get more specifically temp- to the temperature questions and why six, to se- six months is actually probably the, the appropriate time to be thinking about. The better question to ask that we're going to get to Elissa, is, what's the density need to be? How many shrimp per um, cubic meter of water or per cubic centimeter of water? And we'll get to that over time and, and talk about what the density, what the volume, the density of animals for volume of water should be. And for surface area on the tanks, because they do end up being bottom living animals. So any other questions? You guys have been awesome. If, if you got something out of this, maybe throw one up if this was useful for you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, others. Appreciate that. So I'm going to stop the recording, and you're all welcome to be back with us in about 15 minutes to where we'll do just a networking and Q&A session, no specific agenda. You guys are awesome. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye.